Revolt is the only way out of the colonial situation, and the colonized realizes it sooner or later. His condition is absolute and cries for an absolute solution, a break and not a compromise, for the colonial condition cannot be adjusted to. Like an iron collar, it can only be broken. Albert Mimi, the colonizer and the colonized. Welcome to Quirks of Creation. everybody and welcome back to another episode of quirks of creation i'm your host jess holmes and joining me as always is elise Hi, hello elise. hi everybody if i sound a little funny i apologize i spent all weekend shouting and yelling and cheering and we're gonna do the best with what we got today so that's her excuse that's my excuse yes uh oh my voice gave out oh darn we're done <laughs> Thanks for joining us. The episode is now over. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And that's a wrap. Uh, but I don't blame you for screaming and shouting your voice out. I low-key think you just wanted to get out of this episode. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say I was intimidated to do this episode. <laughs> no, I think this episode is very important. And uh, I'm glad we switched things up because we've got a lot of stuff going on in the world right now that's very relevant mm -hmm. to um, our beliefs, to history, to all of it, to our culture. Um, so this is just a very, I think it's going to be a very good talk about the foundations and a history that is absolutely, it has been convoluted, I believe, on purpose to make this seem um, a lot more <sighs> difficult than it really is. It, yeah to understand. And uh, so we're going to try and break the sum of that up and and make it make sense, at least from our point of view. So before we jump into that, um, do we have anything we need to announce before we get going? I'm just making uh, excuses. <laughs> she's making excuses. We actually do have some big and exciting news to announce. We have some new merch in the Quirk Shop. Um, so we finally have a pyramid t-shirt, sweatshirt, and a dragon sweatshirt. So if you guys enjoyed those episodes, go on over to hawkhoundmedia.myshopify.com. Check out all our fancy new Quirk merch. Link is in the description below. I will drop the link for you guys in the chat. And stay tuned next week because we're going to be doing a special mole day sale. For those of you chemistry nerds out there who know what the mole is, stay tuned because that'll be fun. And for those of you who don't, you're in good company. We'll find, <laughs> out. we'll find out together. Just kidding. Awesome. I'm excited. I'm going to go order merch after the show tonight. <laughs> Same. I was like, and a big thanks to uh, PJ, our overlord at Hawkhound, <laughs> who was in the chat tonight, who made the dragon one. It is so cool. I'm in love with it. I'm going to go order one. Also, because it's freezing right now and I need a hoodie desperately. There you go. So you guys should get one too. Yes. Justin's been asking for this one for a long time. Uh, if you, I am now going to put it on air that I am requesting a 
burn this instead of tires candle. <laughs> Based <laughs> on our tires. Burn this and not tires. Based on our uh, episode. Climate change episode. Yep. Thank you. Yes. So yeah. now the whole world knows. I love it. That's what I want. <laughs> anyway. We'll just magically manifest in the Hawkeye shop. That's Isn't that how everything happens? Here? Fair. Fair. Just kidding. Yay. So let's jump into it. Uh, I, I'm going to do my best with my voice. So again, I apologize for like the scratchy weird sound tonight but here we go i believe in you yay uh like i said tonight we're tackling a tough subject and i say tough because not only do we have this history that like i said i believe has been purposefully convoluted but it is truly intricate and it weaves through the fabric of much of history so we start with the bible and assyria and babylon then to rome and we go to the crusades to the mamluks to world war one and two the 60s all the way up to today. And this is a tapestry that was woven with spilled blood and shed tears. There's love and loss and victories and defeat, innocence, guilt, religion, and politics, all of it from ancient times to today. And here we are, 2023, at a boiling point being told fact and fiction, good versus evil, oppressors versus oppressed, black and white scenarios that are much more intricate and complex than that. And yet, there is a truth to hold on to and a side to stand with. And while neither side in this can claim to be totally innocent, we can look to God, His Word, and in this case, history too, and judge with discernment what is truly going on with God's chosen people and the turmoil that we're seeing today. Um. That was beautifully put, and now I'm going to go cry. Please excuse me. <laughs> I, I mean, disclaimer, this is going, this is, I like to present things factually and try and take the emotion out of it, but this is history. You know, I present the history side, and it, we're dealing with people. We're dealing with real people. And so to take the emotion out and to represent the facts is one thing. But you do have to keep in mind that they, these are real lives that have been in every in every case. But it, these are real lives that are being devastated on both sides. But um, I'll try to keep my opinions to myself for the most part, just so I can represent the facts as I as I've researched them. But I also can't promise that I'll be able to entirely do that either. So. There's it's hard because not not only are we dealing with real lives, but we're dealing with the lives of people who are close to God. I mean, yes. and therefore close to us as Christians. Yes. So I as this hits home so much for the Jewish community, I know, and it should and does hit home for us as Christians as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think that's that's part of this whole convoluted thing, right? Like if you make it so complicated that people don't want to look into it, then you lose the human aspect of it yeah. too. And it's just a problem that's happening over there and it's their problem. It's not our problem. And it very much is um, something we need to keep close to our hearts and, and in the forefront of our minds as we pray and as we reflect on it and as we do 
and whatever we can. And, and I don't have the answer for that necessarily, except just prayer and um, knowing, understanding what's going on uh, as best we can. So again, on that, I'm no expert <laughs> on this subject. I will be upfront and honest. I, I will not claim to have all the answers. Uh, and with that, I don't want you to just listen to this, this episode and take my word. I encourage you to go do your research true, your research too. Not only am I losing my voice, but I can't enunciate. Uh, hashtag relatable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I encourage you to do your research too, and not just not to prove a point or so you can argue somebody into a corner or anything or to be correct, but just to simply understand for yourself and whatever way you need to as to what is happening in the world today. Um, a lot of the talking points I have today come from this really fantastic book that actually <laughs> PJ from Conspiracy Pilled suggested to me. I called him a while ago and was like, I need something. I need something to really bring me up to speed on stuff or just a refresher. I get so worried about um, biases and not that I need it, it, them to agree with me, but just like I, I don't, I want something that gives me a solid base so I can read more and understand more from every from every angle. And he suggested this book. I I suggest it for anybody who's interested. It's called um, "Reclaiming Israel's History, Roots, Rights, and the Struggle for Peace," and it was written in 2017 by David Brog. I'll drop the link in the in the chat for everybody. Thank you. He does a fantastic job of um, presenting both sides factually, and I think he brings up a lot of the arguments that are being made and just kind of shows the flaws in a very fair way. Um, so again, I suggest this one. and. To know a little bit more about David Brog really quickly, he's an author, obviously, and he is the president of the Edmund Burke Foundation. Um, directly from their website, it says, The Edmund Burke Foundation is a public affairs institute founded in January 2019 with the aim of strengthening the principles of national conservatism in Western and other democratic countries. The foundation will pursue research, educational, and publishing ventures directed towards this end. Um, he is also the director of the Maccabee Task Force. Again, this is directly from their website. The Maccabee Task Force was created in 2015 to combat the disturbing spread of anti-Semitism on college campuses. We believe the BDS movement, boycott, divestment, sanctions movement, is the forefront of this troubling trend. We maintain that BDS is an anti-Semitic movement that crosses the line from legitimate criticism of Israel into the dangerous demonization of Israel and its supporters. We are determined to help students combat this hate by bringing them the strategies and resources they need to tell the truth about Israel. I bring all this up to set the record straight. This author, David Brog, who wrote Reclaiming Israel's History, is doing just that. He's setting the record straight on the history of Israel's claim and what they stand for and what they've done and what all this is about. And also, when you know uh, his background, too, you know where he's what, what angle he's coming from. So again, even if you agree, which I do personally, um, 
you can still question the narrative and you can still know that he's coming from one angle or another. I really appreciate his approach. That's enough on that. We'll actually jump into stuff. (laughs) Let's do it. Let's do it. Excuse me. So, um, obviously, like with most things on here, when we talk about history, we'll start with the Bible. Let's do it. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) We've talked a lot, actually, again, without meaning to. Can I just say, I think, because we rarely like plan out what we're going to do very much ahead of time. And I think God has just been like guiding us through this whole journey of quirks because every episode, even our Bible streams have been building on themselves. Mm -hmm. And literally in our most recent Bible stream, we just talked about the start of this whole thing. Exactly. Exactly. So if you want to hear us talk about that more, go to our Bible stream you can also look at um, our talk about the uh, Canaanites because mm-hmm. that talks a lot about the battle between Israel and the Can- or the Jews and the Canaanites and their quest for the promised land. So I won't delve into that too, too much, mostly to save my voice. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, you know, we'll start with the Abrahamic covenant. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. (coughs) Leaves headed towards, you know, all kind of stems from there. So, Then you have Abraham, Ishmael, and Isaac. We've talked about that before, too. I'll talk about that again in a bit. Um, But then we'll jump to Moses. So Moses escapes from Egypt. They wander around the desert 40 years. And then Joshua crosses the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, into the promised land. And after that, um, around 1,000 BC, the kingdom of David is established and Jerusalem is the capital. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moving forward, 957, the Temple of Solomon is built in Jerusalem. Something to point out here. So the Temple of Solomon in Jerusalem, the capital, this is very much Jewish, correct? Like you would say that this belongs to the Jews? Uh, Yes. (laughs) I I would. (laughs) This is... um, 1,600 years before Islam is founded. So just keep that time frame. That uh, uh, is actually super helpful because when you think about this conflict, especially people in modern media, they're like, the Palestinians were here first. Israel is on, you know, they're occupying the land or whatever. This land originally, I mean, if you go way back, it belonged to the Canaanites, but that's not... Who it should have belonged nobody's to. making that claim now. Yeah, nobody's <laughs> making that claim now. <laughs> but it's the same but problem right. like when you think about America. It's like this land belonged to the Native Americans. Okay, which ones? Right. You know, it, it, that's how it was back then. Mm-hmm. But Israel actually set up r- real government, real, well, I say real government, monarchy. 
is that more appropriate to say? They had a king, uh, King David. Yeah, monarchy. Yes, exactly. In this place. So they were the first one to have real civilization on this land. Yeah, and they uh, have maintained their identity through this whole thing. I mean, they have been, they have ties through blood and religion and language and their culture. I mean, this has been a pretty much a consistent, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? They've been a consistent people staying together, you know? I mean, who has traced their genealogies that far back in time? Like, I, I don't know how accurately uh, the Jewish people still trace their lines to the different tribes of Israel, but they're still paying pretty close attention to their genealogies to know that they're Jewish. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, it all um, it's all very very important. And anyway, yeah, this the. I just wanted to really make that clear. Somebody told me a long time ago, they're like, well, the Quran was around before the Bible. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> no. So if anybody's confused, this is all established roughly 1600 years again before Islam is founded. And we will get into that in a minute. Um, also, I meant to make this disclaimer in the beginning before I get going too far. I will, for the most part, be talking in very broad strokes. Mm-hmm. Each of these like bullet points, if you will, are are um, things you could talk about for hours, each one Literally. on their own. <laughs> Seriously. So you can pick one and go down a rabbit hole for a very long time, which is wonderful. We go for it. And if anybody hears anything that I discussed and kind of gloss over, first of all, I, I don't want to gloss over it to make less of it. I just want to cover like the broad spectrum here mm-hmm. <clears throat> within a timely manner before everybody falls asleep. So <laughs> think of this as like an overview episode. Yes. We're giving you the cliff notes of all of the points in history. And then at some point we'll do deep dives into the, not to say that all the points are interesting, but like the most interesting where we could pull out the most meaning and things like that. Cause like you said, there's yeah. so much and all of these points you're about to make. There's, we would be here for weeks. <laughs> we could be here for a very, very long time. Well, and again, because this history is so long. Since and, the beginning of time. <clears throat> yes, exactly. So so I won't do that to you, but I'm also not trying to make less of each incident. It's just to understand how we got from there to here. Broad strokes today. Right. With lots of hand gestures, like always. So, <laughs> my favorite part. I didn't break my hands over the weekend. So, <laughs> that's actually a plus, though, because you could have. <laughs> I could have. <laughs> and I didn't. I didn't break anything. Playing roller derby two days in a row, three games in two days, nothing broke. That's intense. So. That was a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, I'm sorry. You got it. Temple of Solomon built in 957 BC. Um, in 722 BC, the Assyrians rush in to take over and they exile the Jews. And then again, in 586 BC, the Babylonians come in and conquer and they exile the Jews again. At this time, they destroy the first temple. So the 
first temple of Solomon destroyed 586 BC. In between the Assyrians and the Babylonians, just for context, would have been like when Daniel was taken as a prisoner of war, kind of, mm. uh, not prisoner of war, but. Um, I mean, as he was a, taken as a captive. Captive. They basically conscripted him into the Babylonian army. Yes, exactly. So, again, just for context, like in between those two, that's when he would, that's Daniel's story. And more, but right. one of many. Um, then after the temple was destroyed, 515 BC, there is a great return from Babylon. So at the, none of the Jews are never gone. Like they've been exiled and a lot are gone, but they are not all gone. So it's never Jewish list. <laughs> right. It's, um, there's a new uh, word. Not for their enemies, lack of trying. Uh, no, certainly not. No. Uh, and it gets, I mean, the, the thing we'll see here is like, it just gets worse. I don't know if it gets worse, but it's just, you think like, could they get a break? No, <laughs> no, they don't. Uh, so 515, they return from Babylon and the second temple is rebuilt. And we're going to fast forward quite a bit to 63 BC. And this is when the Romans come in and take over the area. And it's not called Israel at this time. It's actually Judea. And the kingdom of Judea becomes a vassal state. And um, the Jews revolt around 66 to 73 AD. The first Jewish Roman war takes place at this time. And they revolt. And the Romans really crack down. And then uh, fast forward again to 70 AD. So before and now after Christ, 70 AD, the Jews rise up again against Rome. And we talked about this quite a bit in our Josephus episode because he wrote about it. He was part of that. Oh, yeah. And that's when he was <clears throat> that's when he was um, taken prisoner or given himself up or, again, he was quite the character. But this was his time frame. Josephus wrote quite a bit about this. Uh, the Jews rise up against Rome, and Jerusalem is completely destroyed, devastated, and this is when they burn and destroy the second temple. Um, after this, 130 to 136 AD, there is Barakoba, the revolt. It is led by Simon Barakoba, and the Jews rise up against Rome for the third time, I believe the final time, and this was devastating to both sides. So not only was it, um, oh, I lost Jess. Well, we're just going to keep going. Hopefully she comes back. Not only was this devastating to the Jews, because let's also keep in mind that the kingdom of Judea, Israel, all of it is so, it's so tiny. Today it is like the size of New Jersey, if not smaller. It's never been a very big country. And we'll see repeatedly time and time again how this tiny little state, this tiny little area has is surrounded constantly by enemies. There's they should just easily be wiped off the face of the earth and time and time again they're not. And it is absolutely incredible the way God protects his people and has been behind them since the beginning of time. So my take on it, 
Uh, but this third and final time against Rome, again, led by Simon Bar- Barcova, the um, it was devastating not only to the Jews, though the Romans took significant loss, not, st- not just in numbers, but they also took a significant loss with their resources and everything they needed to try and squash this revolt. Uh, and unfortunately for the Jews this time around, it was uh, the worst payback. Payback was absolutely awful. Hadrian was the emperor at the time, and he outlawed the study of Torah. He executed an entire generation of rabbis, and he just wanted to crush the Jewish economy that was doing so well. And then the Peace de Resistance was renaming Judea Palestine. So in an attempt to not only mock the Jews and use a similar name to their enemies, the Philistines, Palestine was meant to be a humiliating um, name and also to remove the history of the nation that once ruled Judea. So he can't just wipe out all of the Jews, but he's going to wipe out their history, remove them so that nobody knows who they were. And this was one of the worst uh, times in Jewish history up to the Holocaust. Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sorry. I was telling the chat. It's not a Hawkhound stream if your internet doesn't crash at least once. At least one time. At least one time. <laughs> oh, so sorry. Oh, it's fine. I'm uh, here for now. Well, welcome back. Yay. Thanks. <laughs> um, I'll just recap quick for you because I feel like this is a huge okay. thing. It's 130 to 136. Barcoba res- revolt. Um, mm-hmm. The Jews rose up against Rome for the third time. Rome was ticked, to say the least. Fair. <laughs> yeah, fair. Hadrian, the emperor, was like, uh-uh, I ain't dealing with this crap anymore. He can't wipe them out, which is amazing because they're, they're like, today they're the size of New Jersey. Right. It's never been a big state. How they can keep at least, not, not even, not crushing their enemies or necessarily winning, but just continuing to last when they shouldn't, obviously, they it's have the help. Of God. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. So, and what I was saying is one of the ways they tried to not only humiliate the Jews, but also just to wipe them from history because mm-hmm. they couldn't physically do it. They renamed the kingdom of Judea, Palestine. Ah. And it was a mockery of the Philistines, one of their huge enemies. Yes. Oh my gosh. Ugh. Ooh, yeah. I hate it. Yeah. So, Palestine at this time, it's not its own nation. It's not, you know. It's just like they call it a land area or whatever. Yeah. And again, an attempt to wipe out Jews, Judea. And it's had such a lasting. It was effective. It was obviously. Yeah. Because now people all around the world are convinced that the Jewish people don't belong there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That one, I, I remember reading that and just being like, oh, oh wow. <laughs> I don't know. Things that just hit you really hard. That was one that of them. That does hit really hard because it's one thing, like you said, it's not just 
not just wiping somebody out and hoping that your memory lasts despite what your enemies wish. It's the total eradication that you ever existed. Yeah. Yep. Like I can't physically take them out, but nobody will remember them in future generations. And <sighs> no one does. Right. Um, so we're going to jump ahead about 500 years. So fast forward again. And now we're at 1610. And this is where Islam begins. So Muhammad is the prophet mm-hmm. who started Islam. It is said that he was visited by the Archangel Gabriel. <laughs> right. You have more to say? I feel like you have more to say. <laughs> I don't because all I can do is make conjecture because I, I don't know much about what Muhammad went through or anything like that. I sincerely doubt he saw Gabriel, um, especially since since the establishment of Islam, n- nothing but horror and tragedy has come out of that. Um, and so I suspect that he didn't see an angel, but perhaps a demon. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, what's so funny about this is that it is very much, well, I'll just say, so what supposedly Archangel Archangel Gabriel said to him was there's only one God because at this time in that area, there was not one God, you know, they were, they were um, worshiping everything. (laughs) And so he says, there is one God, Allah, and Muhammad was his greatest and last prophet in line with Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. So Jesus was not the Messiah, but a prophet in Islam. And that's where that whole thing started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <clears throat> Jesus is on the same line as Abraham and Moses and Muhammad. They're all, well, Muhammad was the last and greatest prophet. Oh, of course. Yes. That That is one circle I don't know how they square because you you can't just call Jesus a good prophet. Either he was the son of God. Or he was a psychopath. Or he was a liar. Right. Yeah, psychopath is more accurate. Exactly. You so, can't have it both ways. No. Um, I might have told this story on here before, but it. I had a. We had a guest speaker at our our church, and I wish I could remember his name, but I can't right now. He grew up um, in Lebanon, I believe, and uh-huh. he's Muslim. And his whole goal was to convert everyone to Islam because I wanted everybody to go to heaven and that's the only way. And um, he would go in college. He would, they moved here to America. So when he was here in America, I can't remember where he went to college, but it was his goal to like convert everybody. And, and in his heart, it was well-intentioned, like want everybody to go get into heaven. So he'd knock on people's doors and he'd talk to them. And especially Christians, like he would ask them questions and he goes, one guy, started asking me questions I didn't have answers to and vice versa. I would ask him questions he wouldn't have answers. And we both would go and like consult the Bible or the Quran and we'd come back and, and we would talk about it. And he goes, things just didn't start to add up for me. And so I really did a deep dive into the Quran and the Bible. And um, he goes, I could not find any faults within the Bible. And not just reading it, but I mean, he right. went, he read it, he read, he learned 
the language he looked into, um, every little thing you could look into with that, he would look into it. And he converted to Christianity. It was an amazing story. And I just, he, and his biggest thing was that he um, could not prove anything in the Bible to be um, misleading or didn't add up. Right. Whereas he's like, in the Quran, I could, I could do that all day once I started digging into it. Right. That's just his story. I found it fascinating. But with Muhammad in 610, so for like 22 years following that, Gabriel was talking to him and giving him these revelations. And the Quran is the collection of these revelations. And he goes from Medina to Mecca and is converting the Arabian Peninsula to Islam in that time. There's a lot more to his story, to that story. I, again, don't want to make less of that significant like time, mm-hmm. but we're going to keep going. <laughs> At one point I do want to like mention about his story is you have so many of these other false religions that crop up and then die away, crop up and die away. Um, But Islam has not only taken a whole, uh, not only stuck around, but it's taken like a deep deep root all over Europe, all over the Middle East, Asia, and it's coming to America too. And we saw this in, ancient times in the Bible too, that the most powerful religions were the ones that were this close, this close to the truth, but has some very important things flipped on its head and flipped the opposite way. Absolutely. And again, I think we've said this before too, really great lies have, are sprinkled with truth. That's what makes them really great lies. And I, I don't think this is any exception. Like there are truths in this, um, but the but the lies are the, but it is still false. Yeah, as for, obviously we're Christians. <laughs> it's called quirks of creation, guys. I don't know what you want. <laughs> if this is your first time listening, and you couldn't tell by now. <laughs> anyway, it, it's it is it is a fascinating point in history in that the impact that it had on that that region still has to this day, all of that. I don't want to make less of any of that by any means, but again, we're just going to keep kind of pushing forward to set the foundation here. So, um, so in 636 AD, um, the Arabs began to take over the land of Israel or Palestine. And then in 1099 through 1291, we have the Crusades. This is another one of those things we could talk about. <laughs> the Crusades. Forever. They're the Crusades. They were a major part of oh, history. They're a major part of the European and Middle Eastern um, relations, relationships. Uh, not to go on way too many tangents here, but here I go again. I took a Middle Eastern class in college and I had a professor who said right off the bat, he goes, the, the people of the Middle East have a very long memory mm. and Americans don't. So, so true. And uh, yeah, I summed it up well there, prof, because <laughs> that yes. hits so hard. Yeah. Our country 
is one of the youngest countries in the world with the least amount of history. And to we're remember, all, <laughs> we're already tearing down our statues. People can't even appreciate what the founding fathers did because they don't know what the founding fathers did because their memory is so bad. Yes. Oof. Yes. So when he said that, I was like, well, that makes sense. And so culturally, just in that, we are so vastly different. We are so vastly different in that to them, the Crusades was like, you know, last week. And to us, it's like, Crusades? What? So it's ancient history. That's ancient history. Still AD, people. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I know. But still, but even so, like, if you were to just ask me about the Crusades and have me spitball what I know, it still is pitiful in comparison to what they remember, too. But that's kind of the uh, the taste that's still in their mouth in the Middle East is that is the Europeans from the Crusades, mm. and and thus also Christians and Americans for the most part. That was the point my professor was trying to make. Right. This was a while ago, but still, but still, I really think that hit home. Their memory is so long, and ours is so short, and so not to gloss over the Crusades and their impact. But we're glossing over the Crusades for the most part. <laughs> right. Got to do what you got to do. Got to do what we got to do. So 1099 to 12, 20, 1291, Crusades are fighting. The Crusaders are fighting to take back the Holy Land, and they're fighting the Islamic rule within the Holy Land. Uh, unfortunately, well, that's, that's Can a big Can we just whatever. like tiny what? set up what no. the Crusades were? Just like a tiny bit, because I know... Uh, there is this big misconception that the Crusades were just Christians going around and setting up Christian dominion all across the world, and that's it. Christians going around killing everybody. Uh, I mean, it depends on where you're coming from. But for the most part, it was, you know, this, like, we need to set up Christendom. And even even in the Crusades, going to the Holy Land and taking back the Holy Land was to set up Christendom in the Holy Land right. and not to um, necessarily give it to the Jews. They're the ones who killed Christ, but to set up Christendom there. And uh, part of it also was they needed something to do with sometimes. I mean, there were different Crusades, all for different reasons. It was... That's fair. Yeah. But I think for the most part, yes, to, to spread Christendom, to fight the good fight for the Lord. And they took it to the Holy Lands for the most part. So that sets it up just a, just a tad, just a not really, bit. just a little bit. But At yeah. least in the Holy Land, they were fighting back against this Islamic regime that was really starting to take hold. Yes. And it was, it was not good. Yes. Yes. No, it was not it was not good. And so I think that was a big part of it too is to fight back the is Islamic regime that was there to kind of cut them off before they could get going and that didn't work. And they really got going and spread out right quite quite a bit. I should have pulled up that map, but I will at some point when we talk about this again because we will um in 1291, they were defeated and by the Mamluks. And the Mamluks were a Muslim group. That's another big topic I'm there, like, too. I'm like, Mamluks? Like, my mom looking at you kind of funny? I know. I love their name. 
that's about it. <laughs> Just to set um, a bit of the tone here and give you some context. The Mamluks took over, they defeated the Crusaders, took over for a few hundred years. There is um, a quote from the book I recommended in the beginning, and it says this, As one Christian observer noted approvingly in the early years of the 16th century, quote, Brother, I wish you to know how these dogs of Jews are trampled upon beaten and ill-treated as they deserve. They live in this country in such subjection that words cannot describe it, and it is most extraordinary thing that there in Jerusalem, where they committed the sin for which they are dispersed throughout the world, they are blamed, they are by God more punished and afflicted than in any other part of the world, and over a long time I have witnessed that. Mm. So you have this Christian crusader, if you will, not really a crusader at this point, but you have a Christian who's there who's like, yeah, they're really giving it to them and talking about how oppressed and downtrodden they are and, um, and cheering it on because, again, uh, somebody in our chat had said it. We all killed Christ. but Right. And, and you're right. Uh, but in their eyes, it was the Jews and this was their punishment. And uh, I'll leave that to God. But I, I mean... Yeah, and, and my mind, it, yeah. Christ was prophesied to die. If they hadn't killed Christ, God would have found some other way. The whole purpose for Him coming here was to die and take our sins on Him. Otherwise, there'd be no salvation. Yes, and as Ex- you know, yeah, exactly. Um, but that that was the that was the emotion of the time. That was the the culture and the feelings of those times. And so um, anyway, that that's just to give you some context as to how poorly they were treated. Like don't, Mm -hmm. as we gloss over some of these things, or I just bring up the highlights, like none of this was an easy thing. None of it was pretty. None of it was um, a good time to be a part of if you were, if you were Jewish. So (laughs) Yeah, if if you're an American, you can be like, oh, the 90s were good. The 80s were pretty good. If you're Jewish, you're like, no times were good. None of them <laughs> ever. Right. right. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. And we'll get into we'll get into that too. We're getting there, I swear, you guys. <laughs> like goodness, Elise. After the Mamluks, then we in 1517, so Roughly three, less, 200 years later. The Ottoman Empire, which is another Muslim empire, takes over the entire area. And again, up to this point, since the destruction of Judea, there has not been a single independent state called Palestine, just a territory of an outlying empire. And another key point is that throughout all of this time and throughout every exile, there was still always a Jewish presence in this area. Yeah. There's never not been a Jewish presence in Israel. That's that's something that is part of the argument is that well, they're gone or they left or they were they weren't here. No, they were always there. Finder keepers. Yeah, the only reason their numbers were smaller right. is because everybody made their numbers smaller. It wasn't by choice. So just things to keep in mind. Um, now, before we talk about 
well, 1517 to 1918. So up until the end of World War One, the Ottoman Empire kept Jews from purchasing land in Israel as well. So anybody who had left and wanted to come back could not purchase land in Israel. Um, I mean, they still did like kind of back back door, kind of like don't let the government know buying this land from you, kind of kind of thing. But still, for the most part, the Ottoman Empire is like, you guys stay out. Don't come back here. Jews are like, but we want to. Um, before we get into World War I, there was the Zionist movement, movement in 1897. This was launched by Theodore Herzl and called he called for a Jewish homeland. So nationalism was really ramping up in Europe at that time. Uh, you know, like, we are Britain, we are France, we are Germany, we are Russia. All of, Nationalism was really starting to pick up. I think that's something we take for granted. Like, we're Americans. Not every country has always felt that way, and it's very new. It's Western. It's a Western it, idea. Absolutely. Uh, we, we're going to talk about the Spartans tonight, and I'm glad we're not. But that was one of them where it was like, the Spartans were not greek for example you know they were spartans right it wasn't a nation they were their own city state athens was too and it was the same in europe and now all of a sudden it's it's becoming more popular as world war ii world war one starts to come around and we're getting ramped up for world war one nationalism is really like taking hold so is anti-semitism so not only do you have these people who are like, we're Britons, we're, we're France, we're this, we're that. And the Jews are like, we're something too. We just don't have Our land has just been taken from us because you tried to snuff us out. Exactly. We don't have our spot. So um, unfortunately, the two went hand in hand, this nationalism and anti-Semitism, and it was on the rise. And so Herzl recognized that the Jews needed their own homeland away from this persecution. and They needed their own nation. I think there's arguments that he wasn't really all about um, everybody moving back to Israel. It was just, he's like, you know, all of us Jews doing well here in Europe are fine, but there's others who aren't. So they, you know, we all need a, they need a spot. Whether he meant that or everybody, it's kind of up for debate. Right. But that doesn't matter. <laughs> Getting off subject here. Um, so understand also that Zionism was not this big rediscovery of Palestine after 2,000 years away. Like I said, there was always a presence of Jews in Palestine, Israel. Zionism was just like the latest and most successful effort for Jews to return to their homeland. They've been coming and going hundreds and hundreds of years, being kicked out, trying to come home, kicked out, trying to come home, run, you know, all of this. Right. So, um, again, just understand Zionism is not like all of a sudden, you know what sounds cool? Let's go back. Like, no, we always wanted to go home. <laughs> We've always wanted to go home. Is there, you know, so again, the, just to keep that perspective. The way I think of it is like, if I was told to leave my state, like you can't come here. And then yeah. wherever I end up, they're like, well, you, you should go back home now. I don't know why you left to begin with. And it's like, you kicked me out. 
I can't go home. I just want to go home. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to read one more ec excerpt from the book um, just because I think this is really poignant and wonderful. Um, so in the book, starts this snapshot of Palestine's Jewish population before the first wave of modern Zionist immigration has become a central pillar of the case against Israel. Since the Jews were a minority in the land at the time the Zionist project began, it is argued they had no right to return and build their state there. At some point during their long exile, the Jews lost their rights to their homeland. There is a statute of limitations on being indigenous. But this one population statistic reveals little about the true record of Jewish life in the land of Israel. It ignores centuries of Jewish presence, Jewish return, and Jewish construction. It likewise overlooks centuries of oppression by the foreigners who conquered and governed this territory. Simply put, Palestine's Jewish community would have been exponentially larger had it not been repeatedly decimated by so many generations of Muslim rulers and Arab neighbors. It takes a special kind of audacity to drive the Jews from their ancestral land through violence, persecution, and misrule, and then point to the small size of the Jewish population as proof that their rights have somehow lapsed. The Arabs of Palestine were hardly passive observers of the reality they cite. The history of the Jews in their land is a powerful rebuttal to the false narrative that dominates the modern debate. That was so good. He does a good so, job. Yeah. He does a great job. And then one, one reason I really enjoyed this book is he just kind of nails it all the time. <laughs> like literally. Yeah, he did a great job. So again, it's like, you can't constantly kick these people out and then be like, well, nobody's here. So they didn't care about it. No, no. Like, I just, I, I can't, I can't with it because again, I think about what they do in America. It's like you white Americans are on stolen land. How, how, how would the left feel if we said, oh, well, you know, they shouldn't have left then, you know, they, they, they let it go. They let it go. They let it go. Ah, uh, I know. Oh, and, that's a whole nother tangent. There's so many tangents within There's tangents. A, there are a lot here to be had. I will also point out too that, he, in this book, he's very fair to point out what's happening in Palestine and the, the Arab world as well. So the, what's going on with the Arabs and their history and what all is taking place there. He does a fantastic job and I applaud him for giving you both sides. I'm not intentionally not giving you both sides. It's really just a time yeah. And my voice can only handle so much. Well, today. and this is the thing. I think you are giving us both sides just the bare facts of it. Yeah. I, I am trying to at least hit some of the highlights to be fair um, in a way. But he really does like the Jewish claim and the Palestinian claim. And so if you want to hear more of that, again, I suggest reading this book because he just it's it's wonderful but 
um, after the, this, and like I said, we're ramping up to World War One. Right. Um, I don't know how much people remember about World War One, but it was a mess. <laughs> Politically Wasn't there some speaking. guy named Ferdinand or whatever yeah. in that? <laughs> Franz, unfortunately, yeah. got taken out. And then this domino effect of all these countries just... And it exploded. That's why I'm not a teacher. That's why I podcast. Because that's Fair. how I explain things. <laughs> Jess, who is a teacher, is probably like, well, I don't... I don't teach history, <laughs> so that's how I'd explain it, too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, war is messy. If you want to, you know, politics are messy. It can all get messy. But I just think World War One in particular was so, such a tangled, knotted mess before it even began. But we're going to focus on mostly, you know, what, the, how that pertained to Israel. And so, um, as simply put, as simple as I can put it, the Allied powers, mostly Britain and France, made deals they felt compelled to make, such as the Balfour Agreement, which is there will be a Jewish homeland in the area of Israel. And this included Israel and Jordan. At that time, it was Transjordan. And that would have opened up so much. So their, their, their area would have been significantly larger. I mean, Jordan is huge compared to Israel. Just to emphasize this, Israel, as it stands, is half the size of New Jersey. <clears throat> yes, today. There's a part of it that is only nine miles wide. Excuse me. I drive farther to get to work every day. Exactly, exactly. And this was part of the agreement, I believe, 1918 or sooner. Um, I forgot to put it in my notes, so I apologize yeah, so the, and, and the reason for that was not just to like, oh, you have it so rough. Let's give you all this land. It was like, hey, you're surrounded by enemies everywhere. Literally. Lebanon, Syria, you have um, Egypt and Saudi Arabia. All of these people don't like you. <laughs> we'll give you Israel and Transjordan so you can just have some something to hold on to. Good luck down there. The Bible was so right every single time that Israel would always be surrounded by her enemies. There. They always have been, and they still are, obviously. Yeah, and they were then, you know, too. Um, but Britain also made deals with the Arabs of the time. Mm -hmm. So you have the Ottoman Empire, the Turks, they're huge and britain's like how do we defeat these guys because we can't do it and um hey thanks don't vax me that's something something i can relate to israel is the size of lake michigan <laughs> anyway <laughs> it seems so much smaller <laughs> isn't that crazy it's insane and again the fact that this tiny little place can hold off so many enemies all around it uh, how do you not see that there's a greater force behind this than because people don't want to see, I mean, no, yeah. you don't want to look at it that way. It's just these annoying Jews that won't go away. And it's awful anyway. Well, and see, this is the thing is like the Israel's enemies 
know what's going on. Like they're real enemies. Like yeah. the yes, people who are right. currently fighting against them know it's a religious war. Yes. Know it's a true fight against good against evil. That's why they're using such evil methods to try and attack them. And there's, they want to wipe them out. Like that is what is being said. Yep. It's And it's not a joke. We'll get into that too. Right. But um, just to wrap up, sorry, with World War One. So the Balfour Agreement, they get, they're planning to give all of this, but they're also, Britain also needs a way to defeat the Ottoman Empire. They're huge. They, they can't do, they're, they're, they can't do it. So they turn to the, to the Arabs in their quest. And the Arabs are like, we want nationalism too. Who are we? And, and the Brits are like, hey, we'll help you figure this all out. You just, you, will you fight the Ottoman Empire for us? And they found a guy crazy enough to do it. And um, wasn't completely successful, but the Ottoman Empire was defeated. After they were defeated, just like we saw after Rome or Alexander the Great died, there's this vacuum. And so where the em- Ottoman Empire once was, what are we now? Yeah. Naturally, the people who spoke, the Turkish people went, you know, went to Turkey. They were Turks. And the Arab nation, those who spoke Arabic, they identified as Arabs. So it, 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 the vacuum, the void, it filled Turks and then Arabs. And they kind of got what they wanted for the most part. But what about Israel? Well, in 1922, the British are given mandate over Palestine. Basically, the powers that be were like, hey, you tackled this. You wanted this subject. You wanted to tackle all of this. You wanted to give them a homeland. Here you go. You deal with it. You can have it. Um, it's all on you guys now. We're not touching it. Have fun. It's like it's like the kid who throws the spider in his sister's hair and then runs away. It's <laughs> like I'm just going to cause absolute chaos and then you deal with it. You deal with it. See you later. Yes. So they basically they they were like, you want to push for this? Then you deal with it. And the British almost instantly start going back on their promises and they separate. Yeah. They separate trans Jordan and give it to the Arabs. So it's now Jordan mm-hmm. and it belongs to the Arabs to appease them. And we'll see this as a theme. Israel, whenever they lose territory, give up territory to the Arabs, they are attacked. And Britain in this situation continually tries to appease the Arab population. They're trying to keep, the fighting down, they're trying to keep everything simmering and not bring it up to a boil. And their constant attempts to appease them just gives, they give them an inch, they take a mile or a million people's lives, however you want to look at it. It was just terrible. It's because they're using <clears throat> this idea that everybody can be appeased through the same western notion they think everybody's reasonable they think everybody is logical that everybody just wants freedom man everybody just wants the same things we all just want peace man right uh but that's not the case our culture is all the same no No. nope nope it's not no not even close and that's off but just ignorant but so between world war one and world war two 
anti-Semitism is growing in Europe and Russia and more and more Jews are coming back to Palestine and the economic growth is flourishing. And with this, the population is growing as well because when you have a good economy, people are going to flock there and they want to live there. They want to be there. They want to be part of it. Um, and of course, we know what's coming in World War II. So of course, anti-Semitism is yeah. terrible. Um, and, and also with the... E- economy flourishing it's not just the jews who are coming back but arabs and as well because they all want in on this and again to appease the arabs britain in 1939 they start restricting jewish immigration so uh they start they put a cap on it at 75,000 jews per year there are millions who want to move out and go home but the brits like they won't budge they want to keep right. the arabs happy and the jews are like you know we'll take what you can give us And that's always been their attitude with this whole thing, too, is like, we'll take whatever you give us. We'll take it. We'll take it. Thank you. We'll take it. Right. World War II breaks out. Obviously, the Jews side with Britain and the Arabs side with Germany. What a surprise. Um, We won't even go into that. But after, in 1947, there's a UN partition plan. So Britain wants out. They're like, we're done dealing with this mess. Don't want to do it anymore. We want out. And so the UN partition plan basically is uh, that this area will be internationally governed. It's not Jewish. It's not Arab. It's internationally governed. And the territory suggested for the Jewish population would have been ridiculous. Like basically they get the Negev desert, which is a desert. What are you going to do with that? And then they get a little piece in the North and a little bit more in the North. And it's, it's a mess and it's ridiculous. But again, the Jews were like, cool, we'll take it. We'll take it. Thank you. And it's the Arabs, almost like the Jews just want to be left alone. Yes. They exactly. That's exactly it. Like we just want our, we just want our homeland and to be left alone. You have that. We have this. Peace out. See you later. That's pretty much been their their whole attitude. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I don't want it to look like they're totally blameless in everything. But for the most part, the attitudes in this whole situation have been, we'll take what we can get. Thank you, thank you. Let's compromise. Let's make peace here. Let's just just let us live here. And the Arabs are like, no, y'all got to go. Like, for the most part, if we get a little bit of land, we're coming to attack you. Right. Oh, you gave us the Gaza Strip? Sweet. We're coming in to take – we're coming in from there. We're, it's just been two very different attitudes for the most part. Um. So after the UN partition plan, there's still these low-level attacks on the Jews by the Arabs. The Jews are trying to defend themselves. The Arabs just kind of keep going after them. But in May 14, 1948, the British mandate has ended and Israel declared its independence. Uh, Hold on just a second. Be right back. Okay, got you. I mean, that for the first time, basically since its inception, Israel is finally a nation. And I can't tell you how big and how important that is. Like to have a place for them 
to go that is acknowledged by the world stage. Now, that doesn't mean the world has been very kind to Israel since they were established, because almost immediately we start seeing wars and people trying to take it again. But for them to be established as a state was huge, because at least for for an instant in time, they were acknowledged as being as being someone as not just being someone to write off in the history books. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you're good. (laughs) Well, interruption. (laughs) Mom, are you almost done? No. (laughs) (laughs) That is so cute though. Yeah. Uh, There's a first for us. I don't think they've interrupted us live before. So (laughs) I like it. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, I apologize. On May 14, 1948, the British mandate ended. Israel declared its independence. In their declaration of independence, they asked the Arabs to stay. They want to be fair and open to all of their citizens. But lo and behold, May 15, 1948, all their neighbors and then some come at them. Of course. Yeah. Like I said, they're surrounded and then people who aren't even cl- like Morocco, for example, they're all just coming at them. Like, what does just- Morocco have a beef with them for? I don't know. They're, they're they're Islam too. I don't know. So they're just like, let's get them, and they're all coming after them. Um, the way this ends is with Jerusalem being split down the middle, but the Jews retain everything else that they had. And still, I still want to make it clear. Even at this point, 1948, there is still no state of Palestine. There's no Palestinian state. And the fact that Jerusalem was split down the middle is huge because I think one of the most important sites that was blocked off from them was the Temple Mount. Yes. And at that time, too, it was like, you can't come to the Wailing Wall to pray. You can't come to the Western Wall to pray. They gave up the Temple Mount for, you know, like yeah. they they gave up so, so many things just to have peace. So, um, it's crazy. So, at this point, since I've already gone an hour just getting us up to 1948, and my voice is going to give out any minute, I'm going to switch it over to a video that actually Ben Shapiro made. Um, and maybe some of you have saw it, but he will very quickly. <laughs> very quickly. Very quickly. Oh, hold on tight. Give us a heads up as to like 1948 forward. So um, I apologize for doing this. It really was just to spare my voice. <laughs> Poor Elise's voice. I am so sorry, but we'll, I'm going to play this clip. It's maybe 10 minutes, but he does a fantastic job. If you don't know who Ben Shapiro is, he is um, one of the contributors to the Daily Wire, the podcast and all of that. He's also Jewish and obviously very. He knows this subject way better than we could ever hope. Knowledgeable. Absolutely. Knowledgeable and and cares. (laughs) obviously so i'm going to turn it over to that again just to just to quick and oh where did it go i'll get it back in a minute as soon as i figure it out here i got you because i didn't save it 
<gasps> there. Thanks, Jess. No problem. You guys, I had it all set up. It looked perfect. It was ready to go, and I don't think I saved it. Yeah. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, here we go. Maybe. In 1964, the Arab states can have decided it? that I can hear it. they can need the almost a it? propaganda effort here. So they create the Palestine Liberation Organization. The Palestine Liberation Organization is a terrorist group. It explicitly calls for the destruction of Israel. Now you will note, at this point, Israel does not control any of this or any of this. So when they say Palestine Liberation Organization, they mean this whole thing, right? That whole thing is supposed to go away. Okay. Is I apologize. Hold on. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yay, technology. Yay, technology. Oh, control that at that no, point. stop, Ben. And they're not calling for ben. Palestine to be liberated. He just wants to talk, Elise. I know. I, this is the problem. We let Ben go on too long last time we had an episode. And to be fair, that was <laughs> partially Britta's fault. I agree. But <laughs> 100%. And I... <laughs> Here we go. ...from Jordan or from Egypt. They're calling for the complete destruction of the state of Israel. Okay, so in 1967, the Arabs mobilized for all-out war. And this includes Egypt, it includes Jordan, it includes Saudi, it includes Syria. This is going to be the big war where they finally get rid of this nascent Jewish state that is less than 20 years old, right? And this is just less than three decades after the Holocaust. And Israel instead launches a preemptive war. They see this coming. They destroy the entire Egyptian air force on the ground. And in six days, they proceed to take the Golan Heights, which is this area of Syria. Israel takes over the entire Sinai Desert, takes all of Judea and Samaria to the Jordan River, takes all of the Gaza Strip, takes control of the old city of Jerusalem. Right? They do all of this in six days, which is why it's considered a miracle by the state of Israel. I mean, it's an unbelievable military performance. It, so in six days, they take what was going to be the war for their destruction. Maybe. That... Like, that is huge to, yeah. I, I can't even convey how big this is because to be this teeny, tiny nation, I mean, how could they possibly have the military might to fight against their en enemies and take so much land back in six days? Yeah. Yeah. Another miracle. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Actual miracle. Yes. They proceed to expand their borders from this tiny thing to this, this, and all of this. Israel then proceeds to give up like all of it. <laughs> so Israel keeps the Golan Heights because that's a military Thomas necessity. Team. The UN calls for Israel to withdraw from occupied territories. Now, the language here matters if you care about the UN. I don't happen to care about the UN. I think it's a garbage organization. But if you do care about the UN, there's a resolution put forward by the UN Security Council. It calls for Israel to withdraw from occupied territories, not the occupied territories. Now, that makes a difference because if it said the occupied territories, presumably it would mean anything Israel won, it would have to withdraw from if you care about the UN, which you really shouldn't. But it says occupied territories, which means subject to negotiations. The 67 Arab League Summit happens. And they agree in Khartoum, Sudan, on the three no's. No peace, no recognition, no negotiations. And these are the three no's that are going to govern the Arabs all the way through. Basically until now, until the Abraham Accords. These were the three no's that mattered. And this is all the way in 1967. So whenever people talk about there needs to be a two-state solution, why couldn't they have come to an agreement? Because literally one side said there will be no peace, no recognition, and no negotiations. One side has accepted every single peace deal provided to it to this point in time. And one side has said we will not accept any peace deal. And yet somehow there's a moral equivalency between the two sides. Explain that one. Okay, 73, 
holiest day of the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur. Everybody is fasting, everybody is praying, and a surprise attack is launched on the state of Israel. The prime minister is Golda Meir. She gets caught completely by surprise. They were warned, and they didn't take it seriously. Israel suffers extraordinary casualties in the 73 Yom Kippur War, and then once again maintains or expands its borders a little bit. 79, Camp David Accords. Finally, there's a breakthrough. Menachem Begin takes over as prime minister of Israel, a very right-wing prime minister. There are two major parties in Israel at this time, Likud and Labor. This is the first Likud prime minister. And one of the things that he does is he comes to a peace accord with Anwar Sadat, who is the nationalist leader of Egypt. And in those peace accords, Israel gives up the entire Sinai desert. Israel gives up the entire thing to Egypt in return for basically a cold peace. Anwar Sadat is then assassinated. In 1982, the Jordanian monarchy is deeply afraid that the Palestine liberation... I, I hope everybody sees the trend. Israel gives and gives and gives, and her enemies just takes and takes and takes and demands more because it's not enough for Israel to give up her land. It's not enough for Israel to make concessions in the name of peace. Her enemies want her dead, guys, want yeah. her gone, wiped off the face of the map. Exactly. Like, no peace. None of that. They just want them gone. And there's going to be no compromise. And no matter how nice Israel plays it, it's not going to win them anything. And we'll see that yeah. again How do and you again. even fight back against an enemy who has no bones for compromise? Do you stop compromising? Yeah. That's the I, thing. Again, I don't have the answers necessarily, but my my initial reaction is you stop compromising and you start taking them seriously that they want you gone. And at, you at act some accordingly. point you have to say, this is in self-defense. This is for my life. This is for the lives of my family. This is for my children's life, my country's life. Like you can't just give and give and give. It's you're setting yourself out for slaughter. And what's the point in that? Yeah. Yeah. Organization is going to overthrow the monarchy. They expel the Palestinians. The Palestinians end up in Lebanon, tens of thousands of Palestinians. Palestinian terrorist groups begin firing rockets over into Israel from South Lebanon. In 1982, Menachem Begin launches a war in Lebanon. Israel ends up basically going all the way up to the capital of Beirut and nearly occupying the entire country. And then they end up withdrawing under international pressure in what is considered sort of a disastrous war for the state of Israel, as always, whenever Israel withdraws from a territory, terrorist groups take over and then threaten Israel. This is the constant pattern. Yeah. No matter, the, the only time this has not happened is with regard to withdrawal from the Sinai Desert. 1987, the Intifada breaks out. This is the Palestinians in the Judea and Samaria region. The reason that I use the terms Judea and Samaria is they are more historically accurate. People call it the West Bank. Why? Because Jordan occupied it, and this is the West Bank of the Jordan River. So the only reason that it's referred to as the West Bank, which is really historically anomalous, It's on the east side of Israel, but it's on the west bank of the Jordan. That's a holdover from the time when the Jordanians occupied this entire area. Again, no one cares that Jordan occupied, quote-unquote, Palestinian land or that Egypt occupied, quote-unquote, Palestinian land. They only care when Jews occupy historically Jewish land. That's when things start to get really hot and 
bothered. Okay, so anyway, the Intifada breaks out in 1987. You get these widespread riots and violent confrontations and terrorist attacks all the way from 1987 to 1991. By this time, Yitzhak Rabin has taken over as prime minister of Israel and pushed by George H.W. Bush, the government of the state of Israel starts negotiating with the Palestine Liberation Organization, which is a really weird shift considering the Yasser Arafat is a master terrorist responsible for tons of murders on his hands. He, at this point, has been expelled all the way to Tunis, right? He's not even in the picture. And Israel brings him out of retirement, basically, and says, why don't we negotiate with you? And maybe you can make all of this stop. So in 1993, they signed the Oslo Accords, and that is where you get Bill Clinton presiding over I one of the least successful international negotiations in the history of international politics. The Oslo Accords have been a complete and utter failure. That ends with Yitzhak Rabin, who is this historic general who has been prime minister of Israel a couple of times by this point, shaking hands with a mass murdering terrorist, Yasser Arafat. And this was going to initiate a new period of health and accord, and there was going to be peace. All that the PLO had to do was acknowledge that Israel existed and had a right to exist. Stop educating their children in terrorism and cease the violence. They couldn't do any of those things, right? So none of that happened. Instead, there's an uptick in violence, pretty dramatic uptick in violence after the Oslo Accords. In 1998, Israel again attempts to make some sort of concessions to the Palestinians, this time under the first tenure of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Israel does not want to govern these areas. Israel is not interested in governing millions of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip or in Judea and Samaria. The last thing they want to do is have their soldiers wandering around these dangerous areas or to preside over these areas. All they want, and all Israel has ever wanted, is to separate off from these particular areas and say, listen, you guys rule yourselves. Like, just stop bothering us, please. Okay, and you will see that this is the continued pattern. 2000, Israel engages in the Camp David negotiations. Bill Clinton is still president at this point, and the prime minister of Israel is now a guy named Ehud Barak. And Ehud Barak is a real dove. Ehud Barak wants to make as many concessions as humanly possible, right? This picture here, which is just an unbelievable picture, Bill Clinton and Ehud Barak trying to push Yasser Arafat into negotiating, right? They're all joking, they're all happy and all this kind of crap. Ehud Barak offered everything. Ehud Barak offered complete control over the Temple Mount with just like a little bit of a recognition that Israel has a historic claim religiously to the Temple Mount. Arafat turned it down flat. He offered control over virtually all of Judea and Samaria. He offered control over the Gaza Strip, right? A Palestinian state, boom, done. Arafat does not even negotiate. He just launches a massive round of violence. I remember this because I was actually in Israel right about the time they launched the Intifada and there were suicide bombings on a fairly regular basis. They blew up a Sparrow's pizza shop. I was supposed to be at that corner like a couple of hours later. This was a thing that was really scary. It was really violent. Remember, he launched that not after Israel did something aggressive, He launched that after Israel offered him everything he could possibly want if he weren't a damned liar who just wanted Israel wiped off the map. This, again, is the great lie, is that there is desire for a two-state solution from the Palestinian side. So far, there has been no evidence whatsoever that this is the case. Okay, 2004, Arafat dies, and Mahmoud Abbas takes over. Mahmoud Abbas is himself a terror supporter. He wrote his entire doctoral dissertation on Holocaust denial and why it's correct. Israel... In 2005, under the auspices of Ariel Sharon, who's one of the great hawks in Israeli history, right? he was the general in the 1973 war who ended up pushing all the way down close to Cairo. He was called the bulldozer. He's this famous general. He unilaterally withdraws from the Gaza Strip. There are a bunch of Jewish areas right in the northern tip of the Gaza Strip. Jewish soldiers went in and removed Jewish settlements in the Gaza Strip. These are places people have lived for decades. They removed them and they just turned them over to the Palestinians. Hamas, a terrorist group, immediately rushed in and burned everything. They burned the greenhouses, they burned all the Jewish houses, they knocked down all the good infrastructure, and then they just took over the place. This is when you start to see uh, a difference emerging among the Palestinians in terms of governance. You've got Judea and Samaria, the West Bank here, you've got the Gaza Strip here. In 2005, Abbas wins the Palestinian elections. 
but only because Hamas and Islamic Jihad boycott the elections. Okay, in 2006, after Israel withdraws from Gaza, remember Israel's not in control of anything here now, Hamas wins an election. So the first move is not, oh look, Israel wants to make concessions and make peace with us. The first move is, why don't we elect a terrorist group to actually represent us? Okay, in 2008, Israel's response to this is, what if we just offer you everything? So Ehud Olmert becomes Prime Minister of Israel, and he proceeds to offer everything to Abbas. He gives him- A terrorist organization. We're gonna elect just, it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, do we have anything on the history of Hamas or like? <clears throat> Not a ton, except just to say that their charter is basically like, our goal is to wipe out. We are, yeah, I, you know. I have a copy of their charter right here. So literally, the goals of Hamas, the Islamic resistance movement is a distinguished Palestinian movement whose allegiance is to Allah and whose way of life is Islam. It strives to raise the banner of Allah over every inch of Palestine. Israel will exist and continue to exist until Islam will obliterate it, just as it obliterated others before it. Obliterate it. Yeah. Very strong, strong language, to say the least. And to not take them seriously is naive, to say the least. Like, they're telling you what they're going to do. They're telling you what they want to do, what they stand for, who they are. It's all right there. Yep. You can't uh, You can't take that lightly. You can't just talk that away. It's not going away. Guys, literally the core part of their belief is that the day of judgment, the end of the world, will not arrive until the Muslims have killed off all of the Jews. Yes. You can't make peace with someone who wants to eradicate you from the face of the earth. Mm -mm. Somebody who does, an organization that doesn't even think you're human, you know, they don't see you as an equal in any way. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. She's so choked up with emotion. Far. Yeah. I made it this far, you guys. Uh, I don't think he has a ton left. Do you want, should we continue or should we just like, it's been talked, it's been talked to us too much. <laughs> um, He talks very fast. He does talk very fast. We can keep going. Okay. I don't, we're almost. Yeah, basically the same offer, but better than the offer that Barack gave in 2000. He offers everything. He offers Judea and Samaria. He he says, we're going to keep some of the big Israeli settlements that exist here, but we're going to give you land swaps. You can keep the Gaza Strip, everything. Abbas does not even bother to issue a counteroffer. He just walks away from the table and launches violence. Gaza war begins 2008. Missiles flying in from Gaza. This is the first Gaza war. Israel has to go in in Operation Castled and shut that down. 2014. This breaks out again. Another giant rocket attack from Hamas in Gaza. Israel has to go back in in 2014 and shut it down. And that brings us to today, 2021, another Gaza war in which Hamas has decided to launch rockets at the state of Israel. The real reason for that has nothing to do with land disputes in Jerusalem. The real reason has to do with the fact that Mahmoud Abbas was about to hold an election in April. He canceled it because he knew he was going to lose to Hamas. As always, the best way to garner support when it appears that you're about to go down, is to start blaming the Jews and start trying to kill them. You can start an arms race between yourself and Hamas on how many Jews they can kill. So that... Yeah. And that's... That's kind of... I think that's as far as he goes, as far as the history of it. Right. You know, I have to... Forgive me, I'm not feeling great. And I know that um, last Thursday, our brother-sister channel... (laughs) I love calling him that. I do too. 
Conspiracy Pill talked about where we're at in the, the history of this, or, or where the, like the, the what's more, going on right now, what's going on today, where we're at today. So, um, I'm going to kind of leave it there. And if you want more of what's going on today and their take on it and kind of the hawk hound take on it, can certainly encourage you to go listen to that episode and just to kind of like wrap this up, if you will, if you haven't already. Um, but I've always like, I grew up kind of in, I feel like a very, um, we didn't really have a strong stand on it necessarily, except that we were Christians and the Jews were God's people. And, and that's, uh, that's where we stand. And I think there is that, but I just like to bring up the history of it and to discuss what, what has led us to this point, if you will. And then, um, and, and understand it from that point of view. And also, again, I, if you want more of the Palestinian, the Arab side of it, there's plenty of that out there too. Almost read too everything much. with. Well, yeah, I agree. Yes, there's. That's easy to find. <laughs> right. So I wanted to bring this up so that this was out there too. And again, I encourage you to read everything with like a question. Question everything. Everything. This. Us, especially Ben Shapiro. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> question Ben <laughs> Question Ben Shapiro. Do it uh, women person. I'm sure he'll just annihilate you because that's what <laughs> do do the legitimacy test. See yes. what holds up to scrutiny. Just right. like that um speaker you said tested the Quran and tested the Bible. Things that are true will hold up to scrutiny and things that are not true will not hold up to scrutiny. We, there is thousands of years of records to show what the Jewish people have endured from her enemies since the beginning of time. And honestly, it all kind of like we've traced it all the way from here, but I feel like there was a nucleus point where it all started at the very beginning with Abraham because he just couldn't trust God. Right. Right. <clears throat> it depends on who you believe, what you believe, what you read, whatever, but it is, it has been said and it has been believed. I believe for a while that Ishmael his firstborn uh, with Hagar was the ancestor of Muhammad, you know, so we're all, we're all interconnected like yeah. Christians, Islam, Jews, and uh, it uh, if there's truth to that, which I don't doubt myself, but it's it's funny how intertwined that all is, and how the consequences are so far-reaching in in this life, in that, in all of it. In my mind, it's like the story of Cain and Abel all over again. God <laughs> found favor. In Israel, the second born. Yeah. And the firstborn just could not bear could not bear it, could not stand it. Could not take it. Exactly. And here we are still fighting this messy war. Yeah. And I think not to sound too wishy-washy by any means, because uh, I I'm not there are 
we need to remember that these are all people. Mm-hmm. I think that's a huge problem with the with this too. Is like the Jews are not looked at as people, so at all. Yeah, so we need to wipe them out. They're dogs. They are below the human level. They are subpar. They are not people. They are not on the same league with us. I think that's something we need to keep in mind on all sides of this. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it is something that can I don't I don't know that this is anything that can be fixed peacefully. Yeah. I'm no expert by any means and I said that in the beginning. But you cannot continue to compromise and then your compromise be taken advantage of like it has been in this right. situation. So I'm rambling, but I guess what I'm saying is don't stoop to their level and start thinking them as less people. But at the same time, also remember the atrocities that we've been seeing and remember where it all stems from. We need to look this evil in the face, understand it, weep, mourn, be there for our our. Uh, our family, brothers and sisters. <laughs> yes. Yeah, our Thank family. You. Yes. And um, I don't know. It's a very tough subject, and it's a very um, it's hard. It's it, this as this is developing, as things are happening more and more. It's it's getting harder and harder to watch. But don't turn away, and don't don't let it just be another part of the twenty four hour news cycle. Thank you. Don't become. Numb. immune to it don't become yeah don't become numb to it this we're we're watching history unfold before us and it's hard to watch but we need to watch because i very much believe it's a sign of the times right um i i agree let's talk about that in our rumble chat yeah i like it yeah before we read our most latest review on Apple Podcast from this hilarious guy whose handle is Niels Bohr, not B-O-H-R. It's Niels Bohr, B-O-R-E. Love Clever. it. Clever. That's funny. My favorite new handle. Uh, <laughs> he says, freaking thank you. <laughs> For once in all of podcasting and media, someone actually sat down and put together all the reasons why climate change is real, man-made, not as cataclysmic as my college professors would have you believe, and that there are real solutions that can be done, but no one is freaking doing them because it's all just an insane power grab. Well done, ladies. I mean, just well done. Keep up the good work, and God bless you in your endeavors. Thank you so much, Neil Bohr. Thank you. Thank you for the kind review. And thank you for having a hilarious, awesome name. (laughs) I love it. And if you want your review read live on the show, make sure you go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, and we will read it on the show. Don't forget to like that smash button, hug that subscribe button, because we can only grow because you're here with us. And we thank you guys so much for making this show happen. It's been a blast. I love it. Thank you for being here. We appreciate you all so, so much. We'll be back Friday. Jess's turn to represent. What do you got for us this Friday? 
we are staying in the news, kind of, because uh, we're actually going to be talking about science news. Uh, the episode is titled The Over-Medication of America, because new news has come out in the scientific community about SSRIs, the most commonly used psychiatric drug used to treat depression. It's not good. It's important to hear about. You don't want to miss it. Definitely not. So be there on Friday. We'll be there. We're excited. I'm excited to hear about it. And I'm excited for you to get your voice back. Oh, should be able to talk by then. Thanks for listening to that, everybody. (laughs) You did amazing. You did. We did it. We did it. We got through the tech issues and all of it. So nailed it. And if you want to hear more, hop on over to Rumble. We're going to do memes. We're going to talk about end times. Don't forget to go over to our shop. Get our new merch. You guys are awesome. Stay quirky. And we'll see you all later. See you later.